Welcome to the Gary Gallagher Law Hour. Attorney Gary Gallagher and his firm have represented thousands of Hawaii workers and families during more than 35 years practice throughout the islands. Whether helping countless workers exposed to asbestos unknowingly in their jobs, filing suit against gas companies for unfair local pricing, or representing the state of Hawaii and winning a settlement against Big Tobacco, the Gallagher Law Firm helps fight for consumer advocacy and fair play for the people of Hawaii. No kopono on your behalf. Now, Gary and his team are here to take the mystery out of what they do and answer your legal questions. So here's the host of our show, Mike Buck and Hawaii attorney, Gary Gallagher. Yeah, once again, it's actually Team Gallagher, and, and we're pleased once again to uh, revisit with the guy who, who who traveled the furthest to become a part of the team. As a matter of fact, from back east to Hawaii, we know the reason why, because this is Hawaii. But also, it was because of the opportunities afforded him by Gary, and it's kind of a, a neat uh, thing to do to welcome uh, Anthony Carr uh, back into the studios. And Anthony's by, uh, I guess... I don't know if it's by attrition or ad- admiration. You have uh, sliced out a part of the uh, of the practice to deal with uh, elder folks and particularly elder abuse. And at the end of the show, we're going to tell people how to get this this uh, this worksheet or this brochure of pamphlet that you had made. Um, so welcome back. Nice to see you again. Thank you for having me back on, Mike. I you know, get used to this. You know, um, I-, I know there's a lot of things that we can talk about. And the first thing is maybe letting people know when we talk about elder abuse, there's there's a lot of different forms of elder abuse, and I do know that there are certain things that are right up the right down the center of the plate of, of Gallagher that you that you do. But there's also a lot of other things that we should touch upon just to let people know that maybe when they see something, there's a sign. If they become aware of what to look for, they might save a lot, save a lot of time and a lot of pain. No, absolutely. You know, being a uh, civil litigation firm, primarily the cases we're able to uh, take on and represent folks is incidents of personal injury, mm-hmm. usually uh, pretty catastrophic, uh, wrongful death, really tragic cases. Uh, but there are many other issues re- touching upon elder care, elder abuse that unfortunately mm-hmm. we're not a- always able to take on a litigation, but mm-hmm. we're certainly invested in. Yeah, and one of the things that I want to point out is that that through osmosis and, and practice, and that's why I guess you call it a, a, a law office a practice, because you keep practicing stuff, and then you develop a real niche. And while most of the time, Gallagher's firm, all of your, the whole team, you're involved in larger, like, class action suits and, and you know, um, b- bad products and, and all kinds of things, and most notably tobacco uh, and asbestos. So all of a sudden, when you hear the word elder abuse, you think, well, where does that come from? And I think it comes from uh, Gary's and you all figuring out early in the piece that there are people that are really taking advantage of some opportunities for our seniors. And I want to begin a little bit with that. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, and, there is a lot of parallels between what we do in elder abuse litigation compared with some of our history touched mm-hmm. upon tobacco litigation tend to take on very complicated scientific or medical uh, aspects involved in the case. Mm-hmm. And in elder abuse, it's no different. One of the huge issues is mm-hmm. medical, competing yeah. medical issues going on. And the defendants have a field day with pointing yeah. out all the different reasons why this person who's aged has mm-hmm. all these other maladies that are affecting their life expectancy. Ergo, what is this case worth? And they utilize uh, you know, a person's medical history against I, I actually saw something that I thought, well, I hope this isn't happening in Hawaii, but yet it could be. And that was, there was this great expansion of of elder care of nursing facilities of care homes because we're an aging population right and everybody we're we're 
we're cranking out octogenarians like every day in, in America. Especially true in Hawaii, yeah. where we have a significant portion of our percentage yeah. uh, is made up of elderly folks. Yeah. Uh, it is, you know, looking back a few decades ago, Hawaii was a little slower mm-hmm. than the rest of the mainland to embrace uh, the concept of, you know, institutionalizing yeah. our elders is how we may have initially perceived yeah, it. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, the big reputations of the big places were like Florida, right? You go down to Florida or Arizona or you go to certain places in California where they were putting together these communities mm-hmm. and really good sense mm-hmm. because they had central uh, medical available, recreational facilities, all kinds of really neat stuff. Then all of a sudden you, you, you want to apply that same philosophy in Hawaii. You run into this big, huge thing called cost of living and cost of properties and buildings. Yeah, there's, there's two big concepts that are at friction is, you know, part of the reason why Hawaii was a little slow to embrace the concept of senior housing outside of the house mm-hmm. is because we place such a priority on the respect and dignity of our elders. We don't just pass them on mm-hmm. uh, to, to the next phase. We remain, you know, invested in their care. But the we're flip- seeing what, but wait a minute, we're seeing something that I think you'd be neat to comment on, and that is we are seeing a large number now of larger facilities, meaning not a six patient, I mean lots, big facilities, uh, but lots and lots of smaller ones because mm-hmm. they can afford a piece of real estate and it's a small staff. But as people expand, from what I understand, and I learned this from you last time, um, what happens is you start off like a house of fire. You got the credentials, you got the expertise, you got the, the heart, the drive, but it, it always falls down with people. You start getting people into jobs that they're either not qualified for or they just can't do. Exactly. And that's the friction. The friction is that priority we have, but the mm-hmm. reality of the fact yeah. that sometimes loved ones require a level of care, a nursing level of care, right. whatever it may be, maybe time and attention that you can't give because you're working and you're the adult child. So these it, issues come up in senior housing, be it a large institution, mm-hmm. 200 plus beds, or these smaller homes that are common in Waipahu mm-hmm. or Kalihi. Sure. You know, these certainly have their role. So there's a place for them. Mm-hmm. But like you touched upon, just because there's a need for your facility, a need for your beds, that doesn't mean that you can do whatever once you get licensed. You know, when we first started doing the show a while ago, I remember one segment I did with Gary. And at that time, and I know there's been some changes in it, but the rules and regulations were kind of lax in this area. You know, I mean, I guess maybe some of the lawmakers just didn't realize what opportunities there were to maybe not have qualified people looking after people. Are there rules? I mean, to, to get a certification, thanks, I think, now to attorneys. that There's now, all right, if you're going to do this, this is what you got to bring to the party. The It depends on the type of facility. There are right. sets of regulations. So if you're an assisted living facility, you have, I believe, Title 11, Chapter 90. That's your set of regulations. Okay. But let's talk about assisted living facilities. You know, they are might these advertise. The ones? They can yeah, be bigger. Yeah, yeah. They usually are. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's a smaller assisted living, meaning a non-nursing level of care, it will usually be something known as an adult residential care home. All right. And, Is, that's, and are you limited to how many people can live in one of those? Exactly. Yeah, it depends. Okay. It can be. It can be from three to five usually. Mm-hmm. Um, there are expanded arches, but the word expanded can be a little misleading. Mm-hmm. That actually means nursing level of care as mm-hmm. opposed to assisted living, which is more maintaining independence and whatnot. So okay. are, are some of those, I, I know that the real sticky wicked ears, a lot of these are in residential areas and you can only do so much in a residence that's not a business, but they must have some way of getting around it because there's a lot of them popping up and they all, they, they, I don't know if they're all, you know, legitimate. Here's a great uh, point that the average listener out there, unless you've really dug into the regulations, the average person wouldn't know this. No. So, a community care foster home is a basically a mini nursing home. All right. It's a residential setting. You're limited to three residents. One of them 
has to be Medicaid. I, I forget exactly mm-hmm. the, the criteria for the three, but no more than three. Mm-hmm. But it's nursing level of care. So if you're at a larger nursing home, there would have to be a licensed MD as a medical director. Okay. There would be oh, yeah. RNs and registered nurses. Mm-hmm. In order to operate a community care foster home, that's a mini nursing home, you have to be a licensed CNA. That's it. Mm-hmm. A certified nurse aide. And not to belittle that accreditation. Yeah, I say, we're not going to belittle any level of this, but mm-hmm. quite, you know, let's be honest. That person is not skilled or trained or experienced. Most that's, of the time. that's just a factual statement. Yeah, yeah. Now, their heart might be in it and, sure. and they might be invested, but you don't have the benefit of the RN background, the RN yeah. experience that goes along with that. So in order to operate this mini nursing home, you don't even have to have a nurse on staff, mm-hmm. never mind an MD medical doctor. Right. So these are things that you think, well, geez, I've been... Uh, I had a nursing assessment. I required a nursing level of care. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm going to move into the smaller residential setting instead of a larger institutional one. Everything's going great. But then you may or maybe not even end up finding out that there's not even a single nurse on staff. And you know what I'm worried about? I mean, many, many of us these days, and we've talked about this a little bit before, it's not that we don't want to be around our loved one and that we don't want to give care. But a lot of us just aren't trained or or able to do it, or emotionally, mentally, or physically. So mm-hmm. we find a place, and now we're happy that mom or dad is in this place, and it's it's a nursing home. So they're going to get their meds, they're going to get taken care of, and wow, boy, yeah. sometimes they don't. No, that's if if I could urge listeners, you know, who might be going through the process of you know uh, a loved one who might need housing outside of uh, you know care that that you can't provide, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the process of seeking out that placement when you can finally find a good place yeah. to put mom or dad or whoever it might be. That is the beginning of the process. Gotcha. This next step is just as critical. You've got to be involved as an advocate for the care. Mm-hmm. You know, ask questions. You might feel like you're prodding or, you know, not being hey, uh, trusting of their care. You better ask. That's yeah. what matters. Yeah, yeah. That's what matters. Yeah. The bottom line is ensuring the health and well-being and making zero assumptions along that path. You know what sometimes happens, and I know you've already heard this before, a, 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 a child will will say, gee, we put my mom into that place because it was gorgeous. I mean, you drive up there, there's palm trees. There, it's beautiful. Well, you know, it might be beautiful, but what if it was improperly staffed? That is that is the fact. These bigger facilities absolutely know how to sell their facility to sure. people who are looking for comfort, you know, for this illusion of uh, an entity that really has it all together and mm-hmm. going on top-notch. Top-notch lawn, top-notch facility, yeah. must be yeah. top-notch you care. You got your dining room, everybody's playing ukuleles, this must be a great place. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, it doesn't always work out that mm. way. And it's not a knock on marketing. You know, you, great, you know, make a beautiful facility. That's mm. excellent. That helps yeah. promote the well-being of the residents. But go deeper than that. Don't just stop there and create a facade and then get people in the door. You Actually know, deliver. As a comparison, let's look back on, say, for instance, in the early days of, of, of uh, Gary's firm, when he was a kind of a one-man band, and then he went into a, a larger office. And it was sort of lots and lots of research to do in one area, and that was the area of, of asbestos injury. And we, we've, we've heard over time of, of this show of all the you know closed doors there were and blind alleys and everything else. But I did know that at that time we were able to say with definitive number, okay, there were 400 guys working in that facility. Mm-hmm. And and all of them need help and attention. Mm-hmm. What I'm concerned about is, and I, that's why I'm so glad that you you all have decided to specialize in this, 
a lot of these are individual cases, right? Mm-hmm. So it's really, you can't just say a blanket deal, oh, this is the ABCDE, he was in that room, he was breathing asbestos, give him some money. That's, I mean, you know, it's it's a lot more complicated. Than well, you know, it, it's certainly- People don't know where to reach out. It requires a lot of effort, a lot more yeah. effort for sure, but I think it's kind of fitting and it, I think it makes a certain amount of sense that it goes that way mm-hmm. because these seniors, they've spent their whole life working to get to these golden years. And, yeah. And then- these tragic incidents come along. So they shouldn't just be civil number X, Y, Z, five, six, yeah, two. Yeah, that's what I mean. This should be the case of Ms. Blank, you know, mm-hmm. and focused on her and the individual facts uh, and uh, and focusing on, on what's been robbed in her golden years. I, I saw one thing that really alarmed me, and it was, first of all, I know from when we were talking with you and Gary once, that we talked about the Gallagher Law Office at GallagherLaw.com. But we also talked a little bit about the Gallagher Foundation. So what's happened is Gary in his now 70th year, don't tell him that I said 70 on the radio, <laughs> but we know that he just reached a milestone recently. He, he really has looked back and decided, okay, what footprint do I want to leave on the planet? Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of these cases uh, of the elder abuse, which we're going to talk about, it's not the desire to sue for bazillions of dollars. It's a desire to have whatever happens stop happening. Oh, no, there's a lot of firms, Mike, that won't even screen, won't even consider Mm -hmm. certain elder abuse cases because their kind of simple way of thinking of it is 82 years old, dementia. What's the value to this case? What can I settle it for? But you just touched upon it with Gary. You know, he affords us the resources to be able to still take on and go after these cases uh, and not to have to be so focused on the bottom line. Granted, we have a duty to maximize Mm -hmm. the recovery for our client uh, and, uh, and that's certainly something we focus on. But during that process, we're able to affect and bring about all this positive all change. All change, sure. And, you know, there's another thing, too, and that is quite often it's the families. And, and there's no way that you can get compensated for somebody you loved or, or somebody you've lost. Now, once again, you say that if somebody's in their 80s or 90s, come on, we all march along, you know. But the lasting guilt feeling that somebody has in a family, if they find out inadvertently that at the end of, mama's life we had her in the wrong place they must just feel horrific that is a significant problem we encounter um you know i was just talking with john mcdermott the state's long-term care ombudsman we were talking about some different issues Mm -hmm. out in the community as it relates to this and that's a huge one is people who have experienced some sort of incident where the care was substandard Mm -hmm. something wrong happened significant pressure sore unexplained bruises Mm -hmm. uh you know uh confusion and and not being fed properly whatever it might be speak up and do something about it. You know, yeah. it's easy to feel g- guilty. And, and I understand that thinking. Mm. It, it can be a little complicated. You you put the loved one there and you thought you were, but you did your best. Mm-hmm. And there's things that are unexpected that are going to happen along the way. And when it happens, just recognize it, deal with it. And don't, you know, the guilt, and sh- that should not be part of the equation. You know, reach out to the state, reach out to an attorney and, uh, and try to get to the bottom of what actually happened. Yeah. And folks, one of the reasons why I really was anxious to once again, hook up with, uh, with, uh, Anthony Carr and we're going to, he he mentioned John and others. We've got in the next several programs, we're going to expand the pebble in the pond on this, on this story. But I think what is really tough because when we speak on the air and we speak off the air, it's a different different set of game rules. And and I, I need people to know that even though we may specifically not say anything, that we're talking about pretty bad practices. I mean, we're not just talking about, you know, somebody's not getting enough veggies. What we're talking about is physical problems. You mentioned one. What happens if you go visit grandma and she's got a bunch of sores on her body? Yeah. So let's talk about what is a business's incentive to do right by its yeah, people, by its exactly. resident, right? So you have a lot of good operators, a lot of good mm. CNAs, a lot of good nurses out there doing great things, but there's always the bad actors 
Uh, and what's their incentive if they're out there for a dollar? Well, it's not going to be the regulations. The regulations are very relaxed. The threat of litigation is what we hope to bring to the table, that if you're going to do something wrong, and if, if, if whoever it's been done to uh, speaks up and seeks out our counsel, yeah. uh, we're going to aggressively pursue what's happened. We're going to get to the bottom of it. We're going to find out former employees mm-hmm. who might have testimony that you might not want on the record. And mm-hmm. that threat of litigation is something that can be a serious message sent to facilities that, you know, there's mistakes. But yeah. when it becomes a routine or a matter of mm-hmm. gross negligence, there's going to be someone around the corner seeking justice for what's happened. Uh, what I hear, uh, at, at Tony, is this. There's a lot of times when a, an employee in a facility will come parting of the ways. Uh, sometimes they'll get terminated for cause. But sometimes they'll leave because they just can't handle what's going on. They start feeling really badly by saying, wow, I don't want to do this. I, I'm not supposed to be giving people injections. Happens you know, all that stuff. All the time. Yeah. You just find the people who, I mean, this is not you know a glamorous job. It's a dirty job to take care of elderly people. Okay, mm-hmm. And so... More, most often, they have their heart in it. They're just yeah. incredible people, compassionate, sympathetic. Yeah. Uh, but occasionally, it reaches a boiling point where they take their duty so seriously that they just can't stand the environment yeah. that they're in where there's so many other things happening. Sure. Uh, and that happens regularly where we can make contact with these folks. Yeah, and that, there's a way, gang. I, I want to tell you something. In a previous show, I, I forgot to tell Anthony about this, but in a previous show that I was doing during the week on my regular program was with the uh, with our monthly segment we do with the AARP. And one of the real problems is that a lot of these f- folks that are in these facilities, and I know you've already come across some of these, they're actually afraid of their caregivers. They're afraid to say something because there might be repercussions if after your your daughter leaves, you might not eat or you might get pushed around or you may not, you, you know, it, it's, they're and afraid. It's, and it's well-founded. It's yeah. legitimate because yeah. we've seen instances where residents have come to us with those concerns um, after the fact when a serious incident has happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, sure enough, these caregivers just, you need to recognize how much control they have over the health the well-being, the mental well-being of these residents where they're in such a delicate stage. And if a caregiver wants to take out their daily frustrations mm-hmm. and doesn't have a lot of patience for the residents' concerns, it create a real dangerous but complicated environment. Yeah, and that's and for the, some of these, I know, get blamed on the big bugaboo, the big 800-pound gorilla in the room with most of these folks is some sort of dementia, whether it's Alzheimer's or something else. And, you know, mom, you know, she says that they're being real mean to me, but she, she may be just saying that. But it's evidence. When, when you finally get, when, when a family finally says, okay, I'm going to go to the Gallagher's office and I'm going to get into this because I know something's going on here. You know what to look for. And that's a big difference. What are some of the things that people can identify as a sign that they should, get, they should be concerned? It's, it's, I would say it's a two-step process because part of it is a lot of the people who are going to be involved in the elder's uh, care probably knows this individual pretty well, you know, mm-hmm. maybe immediate family, close friend. And you'll know when something out of the ordinary happens. Uh, you'll notice when you see bruises. You know, you'll notice yeah. when they're not acting the same or when they seem like they're concerned about what they're yeah. saying if someone's listening. And that's part one. But when you notice that, investigate it. Yeah. Ask some questions and satisfy your curiosity on that point until you know what the answer is. Let's talk about a bruise, okay? Uh, I, I'm getting older. I bruise easier than I used to. I'm out in the yard. I ding myself all the time. They, oh, doggone, that's going to bleed for a week. Well, we all get that. You know, th- that happens. But uh, some, I guess, is worse than others. So if you're, if you're talking, I'm not talking falling and I can't get up, 
But aren't some of these things exactly for that? They're they're not attended. They fall out of the chair. They're on the floor for an hour. I mean, I, I, it's it's horrific. Well, and that's where you know the resident who might have dementia doesn't have access to their records, mm-hmm. and the family might not look at them often or request them on a monthly basis, yeah. as most don't. And so maybe the caregiver on duty, you know, who was being negligent and wasn't properly monitoring a resident. Maybe they decide to fabricate an entry as to what actually happened. If they actually documented it all, Mm -hmm. they might even just hope, geez, that's, you know, there's a little cut there. But, you know, the cousin doesn't usually come until another week from now. So I think we'll be good. Yeah, I'm so afraid of that. And there's another thing, too. And I called it, I think, when when Gary and I were having a laugh about some of the other things that we do here on the Gallagher Show. And by the way, you can go to Gallagher.com. Go to GallagherLaw.com, and you can find out the, the breadth and length and, and sort of scope of the practice of, of what what they specialize in. And even if you do call the office for something that is not uh, in their in their wheelhouse, they will refer you. Don't worry about that. There's plenty of other referrals. But I think people need to understand the big temptation, and that is when you take a look at, okay, what's it going to cost me a month? Everybody goes to find out what is it going to cost to put mom in a place, and it's spiraled out of control. It's up. It used to be about two or three thousand a month. It can be ten. Mm-hmm. There's m- big numbers in this. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, this is a huge money-making machine. It's a cash cow, mm-hmm. uh, especially in assisted living facilities. They can leverage the value of land that they're on and generate this residual monthly income to mm-hmm. help sustain it. There's there's a lot of money to be yeah. had in this industry, uh, and even even for the smaller community care homes that might be just getting mostly Medicaid uh, with minimal staff, there's mm-hmm. still there's still money to be made. And so it's just important to, you know, there's nothing wrong with capitalism. It's yeah. okay. You can make a dollar. But uh, what is your profit margin? How much yeah. are you investing in training? What is mm-hmm. your hourly rate for your CNAs and nurses? Is that competitive? Mm-hmm. You know, do you have a duty to maybe even go above that mark because you want to be a leader in your field? Exactly. You know, yeah. and so set an example. Uh, don't be so focused on the bottom line. Don't be so focused on retention and census in your facility. Focus on the folks who are there making sure that you can deliver what you promised and what they expect. Yeah, I did talk to one guy. This was at a, a meeting at the state capitol when they had caregiver day and, and how difficult it is to be a caregiver. And it seems like some of these companies uh, are hiring people that have moved on from being the caregiver for a relative who's passed away. And they got so much out of that being a caregiver that, they, that these companies really look for those individuals because that's what you want. Mm-hmm. You don't want a person that's just on a second or third job just making a few bucks, right? you got to really decide what happens. But isn't the temptation expand, 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 and then, well, we can't find the same, the same, the same quality of folks to work there? I'll tell you, Hawaii is filled with quality healthcare professionals, mm-hmm. nurses, CNAs, folks who can properly, more than adequately, take care mm-hmm. of all of our seniors. And so it's a matter of these facilities being willing to pay the dollar that it takes to get those competitive folks and to keep them happy, to keep them trained, mm-hmm. to keep them, they want to do a good job. They want to feel like they're put in a good environment yeah. where they're actually taking care of residents, doing something good. I'm worried about a couple of things, and that is the uh, the paper trail, if you will, that what leads somebody to one of these facilities. And I know it could be a geriatric doctor. It could be a, a you know a clinic that you go to and, 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 you, and you ask the clinic, Jay, you know, mom needs a little more than we can give. We're looking for a place. Who do you recommend? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of layers in there. Yeah. So it must be hard to get to the bottom of who, who's on first. The reality of the fact is that most folks are probably going to be paying for their senior housing with Medicaid. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, for the folks who have private pay, 
you know, excellent, be extra diligent. You have more options than most. Mm. Uh, take advantage of that opportunity. Yeah. But for folks with Medicaid, uh, you know, there might be 25 licensed facilities that fit the type you should go into. But right now, yeah. only three have open beds. And for some reason, there's actually only two of those that you can enter within the next couple of weeks when you need to. That's the whole point I'm trying to make, because I heard from somebody that the, some of these people in these facilities, their main concern is to keep the beds full. And they, and they need to do this. And they create a sense of urgency sometimes where they'll mm-hmm. tell a prospective client, listen, we only have one opportunity, mm-hmm. and it's right now. Yep. Even if mom not going to come in here today, you should put a deposit down on this place for next month or whatever because our company needs to keep this full, yep. and we're going to fill this today. Well, that concept, I think Emeritus, a, uh, a big chain on the assisted living facility, mm-hmm. one of their internal documents, I think, had this quote keep the back door shut. Yeah. And that's the motto of these facilities wow. is that once you get them in, they're there until they die. Yeah. That's yeah. the goal. And they might even actually have hospice services in sure. addition to assisted living because that's their business model sure. is to keep the back door shut. And here's mm. where this can be a problem sometimes is mm. not only is it an issue for what is your real motive and mm. keeping them there, what are you actually focused on, but also facilities take this too literally sometimes when an incident does happen. And they don't seek out the proper medical intervention. We had a very serious case recently come into our office where there were just tragic injuries to this person. They had been so neglected, mm-hmm. so wow. neglected. Ooh. And how did the facility respond? Yeah. Did they transfer her to the ER? Did they go to the hospital right away? They tried to sweep her into hospice mm-hmm. so that the underlying conditions and causes probably would be less wouldn't likely be, yeah, be, to be discovered. Be yeah. And so keep the back door shut yeah. is the model of these facilities uh, for some, for some, we're generalizing here, um, but uh, just that lack of attention to really the precious responsibility of, yeah. of what you're doing, what your business actually is. Okay, and we're going to get into something here in a minute. It's, it's a little bit of a far cry from where we are right now, and that is some of the equipment and some of the things that is, are used in these facilities or in your home that either may be substandard or just plain dangerous. But there's one thing that I really didn't think about until I was on the mainland not too long ago. And I saw in business opportunities an ad for a, for assisted living facility. I know there are investors all over the country that realize that this is a, like you said, a cash cow. Mm-hmm. And I'm really worried that some of these facilities may be in good shape when they get sold, but right after they get acquired by somebody who's not up to this or is is in it just for the money, then we're there's going to be a, a tsunami of problems with these people. I hear I saw something very similar in a uh, new uh, airline magazine. There mm-hmm. was franchise opportunities for you know senior care, mm-hmm. and so it's just you know it's the same mm-hmm. principles over and over. You know, if you're an entrepreneur, if you've identified this as a good yeah. business opportunity, fantastic. But don't blindly assume that this corporate entity who you might franchise yeah. with has the perfect set of rules and regulations in place yeah. and you can yeah. just sign on the dotted line. Do your truth. due diligence. Yeah. Understand yeah. what you're getting yourself into. Yeah, that's really an important point. And, and, you know, actually, if you're the type of person that can make this investment, I'd encourage you to make it because I think that there's a lot of people that are capitalist pigs like I am, but they also have compassion. So what <laughs> they want is they want the facility, they want it to make money, but they also want to be able to say, I helped that lady for the for her golden years enjoy her life. I love it, yeah. and I echo what you say because there remains a significant yeah. need for beds for seniors yeah. in our community. Our goal yeah. when we litigate these cases is not to put the facility out of business. Yeah. It's to have them doing what they should have been doing all along so that when yeah. the next wave of folks come in, they get taken care of properly. Yeah. That's really a great point. I, I want to I slide away for a minute. You're listening to the Gallagher Law Hour. 
uh, attorney Gary Gallagher has got, I call it Team Gallagher. Uh, Anthony Carr is an attorney. He's he's a litigant in, in child abuse, I mean, I'm ch- elder abuse and, and, and care facilities. But along the way, and, and there's just been recently a trial, uh, it's also part and parcel what what Gallagher has done and what other really good firms do across the country, and that is identify a problem product or something. And particularly when we talk about our seniors, like our little kids, you have to have something to keep them in their bed because they wander, they roll. Mm-hmm. You just recently had a case without being maybe, I don't know what you can tell us, but I do know that it's just another way that you can really use the power of the, of the firm yep. to get to the bottom of something. Yeah. So just a few weeks ago, we were in trial here in Hawaii State Court uh, against a bed rail manufacturer, a, okay. uh, a mainland corporation. We had a extremely tragic case uh, where an individual became entrapped between the bed and the bed rail mm-hmm. uh, for an extended period of time, wow. causing you know, without going into detail, yeah. significant injuries. Mm. Um, and we uh, developed a product liability case against the bed rail company. Okay, let, during- me, wait, wait, let me interrupt mm-hmm. just for a second because I want a listener to really understand. Is this aftermarket retro things that you add to an existing bed or was for was this for a whole thing yeah so this is it was it occurred at an assisted living facility mm-hmm. and at this facility residents are to provide their own bedding arrangements which okay. is not uh, too uncommon mm-hmm. and so this family had you know just a, a mattress on a box spring yeah. you know common for maybe an older person who's a little bit shorter mm-hmm. uh, it reduces the severity of falls closer to the, closer exactly. To the ground okay, exactly exactly yeah, common yeah, intervention yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but in addition to that because her lower body you know had suffered uh, you know weakness and she had a prior stroke uh, they thought geez this bed rail that will just slide between the bed and the box spring mm-hmm. um, you know like, like a t-shape kinda yeah um, if we do this then it will help her get in and out of bed easier mm-hmm. right okay and so that's that's about the level of knowledge yeah. I had coming into the yeah. case about bed rails yeah because you, what I'm thinking right away is the thing that's in the swimming pool that helps you get up or get down mm-hmm. you know or, exactly or, or straddle the bathtub so you can swing your so but what I'm concerned about is and I know this is gonna come up I'm almost pre-guessing I'm concerned that when you start relying on a piece of equipment and not realizing that it can fail, and it fails, and especially if you're older, you got a problem. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And here's here's the problem: is that what is the consumer's expectation? Yeah. What is the average listener out there right now thinking when I say bed rail? Yeah, they're thinking piece of plastic, something mm-hmm. that probably helps the elders get in and out of bed. But what you might not know is that there's dozens of other interventions that accomplish the same thing, including if this resident's paying $7,000 a month at your facility, maybe you can give them a neck pendant, or maybe there can be some way that when they need to get in and out of bed, one of your employees can help them. Simple little thing. Okay. And so um, that's not the case. That's not what happened. Mm -hmm. Instead, these facilities continue to let folks bring in these extremely dangerous products. Mm -hmm. And what facilities should know and what the average consumer isn't expected Mm, to know is that these things are death traps Mm. by bringing in a bed rail into your senior's room you are creating a new and different and greater risk than ever existed there before yeah you know what i'll tell you why that's a a really important thing for i'm going to make you to repeat that because the first thing i thought was the thing that slid under the bed and came up for a little child Mm. it was a bed rail on both sides of the mattress to prevent a kid from rolling out of bed at night which they all did i did it when i was a kid yep so mom and dad, I have pictures of my little bed when I was a kid, like a jail cell, you know. <laughs> but 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 what what we're talking to here is is a convenience. Exactly the the yeah. the type that you mentioned is more commonly referred to as a restraint, and right. uh, 
the I bet there are bad ones of them too, though. The in, yeah, 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 the industry yeah. has done a good job of reducing the use of bed rails as restraints mm-hmm. because, as you might imagine, whether you have dementia or whether you're just older yeah, and want yeah. to have your independence, we don't like being in a cage. Yeah, you know, to a, for a child, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, you're yeah. you know you deal with it, right? Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I'm going to take care of you. But for an elderly person, they deserve that dignity and respect. Mm-hmm. So less often used as a restraint, more often used convenience, yep. getting in out of bed, right? So it sounds good. Buy it for seventy dollars, yeah. probably right. at your nearest, you know, medical supply yeah. store. Um, but you have no clue what the risk of entrapment is, how significant it is, how often folks yeah. get caught between the bed and the bed rail, or maybe they might be disillusioned at nighttime. Oftentimes, they try to climb over the bed rail. Oh, Again, a new and greater risk of injury than ever existed before. It just dawned on me that a lot of people didn't have that appliance or weren't using that appliance before they went into the home. In other words, there's certain things that you have to do to to be able to you know be on your own. Mm-hmm. And if and like for instance, we've talked before off the air, and I have with Gary a couple of times. There are say collapsible walking aids that probably are not a good idea because mm-hmm. if you don't put them together the right way and you lean your 200 pounds on them, you're going to break your neck when you fall down. Mm-hmm. But the, are, are am I right in say, saying that some of the folks didn't really know, don't really know much about this, and the son or the daughter says, "Hey, mom, we want you to have this thing. It's really going to help you." Oh, absolutely. That's yeah. the well-intentioned adult mm-hmm. children yeah, are yeah. behind you know a lot of the placements of our loved ones, and they're mm-hmm. doing their best. That's mm-hmm. that's the real juxtaposition here is that these facilities are the ones that know how they're licensed. They know what's best for mm-hmm. the residents. We just have tens of thousands of adult children who yeah. are all dealing with this issue for the first time. You know what's best for mom or dad, and and they don't know the answers to all the questions. Yeah. They're trusting these facilities to tell them the truth. I bet you you're going to have uh, volumes two, three, and four of your of your pamphlet coming out pretty soon because of the vast amount of things that you all are learning and being forced to learn. Because I, I think what you're doing, Anthony, and what Tony, uh, what uh, what Gary and the whole firm should get credit for is gathering expertise in a number of areas so that you can really zero in on. If there is blame or fault, where is it? And, and and more importantly, how to get rid of it. So with regards to this bed rail, what was the procedure? I mean, how did it even come about as how did you facilitate actually suing or or getting the manufacturer of this thing to own up to the problem or the or the rest of them who used it? That's a great uh, that's a great question. Uh I guess from initial uh uh, identification of the defendant, you mm-hmm. know, something significant happened that involved this bed rail. We th- yeah. We're thinking to ourselves, well, if the bed rail isn't in place, what happens yeah. to this individual? They just mm-hmm. fall to the floor. Mm-hmm. But because this bed rail is here, this incident happens. And so you investigate, you look into mm-hmm. them and you say, well, what are the regulations here? Right. Mm-hmm. We've reached out to an expert who is, we were fortunate enough to hook up with two of the nation's top bed rail safety experts. Yeah, and this is getting bigger and bigger, gang, because as you're going to learn out, it's not just with the bed rails. It's with a lot of other things that this firm does. And and the reason for that is, I guess, Gary was a one-man band back in the day, right? Mm-hmm. And today he's, uh-uh. I, I got so much to play, and I got to get people that really know what they're doing and do the research and compile the data that we need. He's got too many good ideas, so a lot, yeah, of, a lot yeah, of good things yeah. to work on. Very fortunate. Um, but no, this is, you know, we, we think of ways we're, you know, we're fortunate enough in that bed rail case mm. to be very successful in the context of litigation, yeah. but you learn things as you go through it. I learned that there has been a ban to uh, a petition to outright ban adult portable bed rails okay. filed with the consumer product safety commission ah, by okay. dozens of states, long-term care ombudsmen, all these healthcare organizations. Mm. There's this huge push mm. to outright take them off the market. Right. So great. Okay. I've developed a great case against this defendant. Mm. You know, it re- resulted in a good settlement for mm. the client. Mm. Fantastic. But 
what about these millions of other products that yeah. are still going into the stream sure. of commerce? Can I just wipe my hands clean of that? Well, did your investigation or your your analysis of this uh, say that there probably isn't anything that can be done to make this less dangerous? It's just not a good idea? Or can it, is there a way to improve the mousetrap? That was the, the crux of the petition was... Mm-hmm. Industry, you have had decades to yeah. show us that you can yeah. make these safely. Mm-hmm. Not a single manufacturer among you is exempt from the fact that you all make dangerous products. Wow! And so it was, it was first to ban uh, adult portable bed rails, or in the alternative, to finally establish regulations. Mm-hmm. Because it's a little complicated, but a bed rail can either be regulated by the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, mm-hmm. which is kind of funny because yeah. you don't eat it or ingest it. Exactly. But, but yeah, it, yeah. it's at the Food and Drug Administration. But the FDA regulates yeah. medical devices. Right. And so if if you if your product fits the criteria of being mm-hmm. a medical device, you're regulated by the FDA. Gotcha. Technically a little more strict than the CPSC, mm-hmm. but still there's no clear set of regulations that says your dimensions have to be this or you can't market this. And so yeah. our defendant in this case, one of their marketing claims was meets medical grade requirements. Oh, boy. You look at that and you say, fantastic. Yeah. Let's, you, where are the grades? Let me see the grades. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so what What does that mean? What does that sentence mean? Mm. I asked the owner. I don't... Yeah. Nothing. It, there's no meaning behind that. Yeah. It's just puffery. Yeah. That's okay. all it is. Complete puffery. Yeah. To induce... It's like award-winning. Yeah. What was the award? I don't know. My dad liked it, so he gave him gave it an award, right? And who's it aimed at? Yeah, it's aimed yeah. at the well-intentioned sure. adult children mm-hmm. who don't know better. It's so, confidence. Exactly. I got confidence. I, look, this thing is approved by the so-and-sos, so it must be a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. But I think that there's another thing that, that immediately comes to mind is, and we've always talked on every different aspect of what you do at Gallagher Law, is precedent. When the precedent gets set, you go to do the research. Well, this you guys were breaking new ground on here. There was no precedent. Mm-hmm. Now there is. Oh, I'll tell you, yeah. you, you, would, you might think, well, maybe you wouldn't, but uh, mm-hmm. I thought that bed rail safety was something that would be uh, litigated across the country, mm-hmm. that there would be uh, verdicts, there would be case law on it. We were pioneering in new fields in a lot of different areas. Shocking, we isn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. We were yeah. getting in touch with top experts, but they had never been asked to do litigation work before. Mm-hmm. And so these are people who you would think that if there had been prior lawsuits, part of it is... Other firms just aren't thinking, geez, maybe we should go after that bedroll company. Yeah. The obvious answer is, of course, the facility did something wrong. Let's go after the facility. Right. But dig a little bit deeper than that and say, who, you know, what are all the circumstances of this incident? What truly are the causative features? Yeah. In other words, if you take a look, and I know this is part and parcel of what you do, is okay, the XYZ company got uh, found guilty of, do, uh, of, of, and they had to settle. What what was it about? What well, was it about a bed rail? Really? What bed rail? Mm-hmm. You know. In other words, let's go let's go down to the to the bottom. You know, to the bottom of the list here and find out. You know what happened. And here. if you want yeah. to do it the right way, which yeah. is you know just Gary's mo and always has mm-hmm. been to just really develop a wealth of information on a yeah. subject. And we just dug deep into this bed mm-hmm. rail stuff, and I got to know you know former victims. Of, yeah. You know who many people across the mainland who had loved ones who they mm-hmm. lost due to bed rail yeah. entrapment. And, you know, I'm still emailing them to this day and seeing how I can be involved in these. When you say loss, I want people to understand what happened. In other words, in the case that was one, physically what happened to this lady? Okay. So in terms of, you know, you're, you're on your bed, you need help. Right. And so what are you going to do? In this instance, she reached behind her, tried to pull a pull cord. Mm-hmm. That's mistake number one for the facility. There's, you know... the. She has a prior stroke. Yeah, Many yeah, reasons yeah. why you shouldn't put yeah. her in the position of having to do a 180 yeah, behind yeah. her head exactly. in order to call for help. Yeah. And so during that process, um, gets disoriented, falls off the bed, mm-hmm. and instead of merely following, 
falling onto the floor, there's that little bed rail that's sticking up. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the risk of entrapment is the it FDA. comes to a V somewhere, right? Yes. Yeah. Exa- okay. Well, it shouldn't. The FDA yeah. has a rule that says that there should be no more than three and a half inches of space between the rail and the mattress gotcha. because that's where you can fall and get stuck. Yeah. And course. so here, because it's this flimsy little device that you just strap on with a backpack clip and strap mm-hmm. and it slides all over the place. Yeah. You know, it's impossible to know exactly what the gap was, but it was well in excess of three and a half inches. Yeah, yeah. So she becomes stuck in it, becomes lodged in it with and arms weak, stuck in a horrendous right? position. Yeah, yeah. Um, and one of many mistakes, mm. facility doesn't come by for mm. nearly eight hours. Stuck in that position. Okay, I, I already know, but I'm going to ask the question anyway. What we really need to have for these folks is a buzzer right next to them. I mean, it's laying right there. Mm-hmm. But what somebody's going to say is, and here's where you, I know get a lot of these facilities are doing wrong, is somebody says, you know that lady, she, she, she hits that buzzer nine times a night. Let's put it on the table, you know? So she really needs it. In other words, that is an issue, right? And depending on the, on the operator at the place, if they, uh, that's just Mrs. Brown. She just does that all the time. She'll be okay. No, I'm, I'm. A, a thousand percent rolling my eyes right now because yeah. you you nailed it. This I mean, isn't TV. This is we radio, hear this. He's I, rolling. Yeah. 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 yeah, We we'll even talk to caregivers who will say that instantly to us and not realize yeah. the significance of what they're saying. Yeah. And I get it. Okay, there are people, you know, especially if they're dementia or other sure. complicating mental health factors in the picture, they might be annoying. But you know what? Their health and well being is on the line. Yeah. And you never know when it's going to be that fourth or fifth or sixth yeah. buzz when they truly, truly need you. you yeah, got to take it all seriously. Yeah. You know, I, I have to tell you that there, I know that without humor, we couldn't live. And I know that there's a lot of things that we find that turn out even in these very, you know, emotional investigations, some humor. I'll, I'll tell you one piece. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad was in a facility just before he passed away. This is years and years ago. and um, But he had moved. I mean, he had moved to a private room. He needed a little bit more care. And I hadn't seen the new room. It was he moved the, the day before, so I'm I'm trying to find Dad, and I'm wandering through this facility, and I heard this room service, room service. It was my dad. <laughs> I recognized his voice because he was under that impression that he's in a hotel because it looked like a hotel. So what I'm getting is that I had more fun, ex- you know, telling that because my dad was a self-made businessman. He was, a, you know, he did very well for himself. To, at the end of his life, I mean, that's what happens, right? Yeah. We get a little funny, but I can tell you. That there are there are going to be people that are loving, caring caregivers mm-hmm. that are going to respond to that and go, yes, yes, Mister So and So, can I get you a glass? Can I get what can I get for you? Mm-hmm. And they won't go get it. They don't have to go get it. They just have to talk. Yeah. But that is isn't that where the personalities come in and where you're finding more and more some of these facilities have just lowered their expectations of employees and that's what you get. Oh yeah. No, the the relationship between the caregiver and the resident is incredibly important. Yeah. And like some facilities won't even recognize the importance of, you know, giving the same shift assignments over and over. So rather than randomly assigning people when they come in yeah. to the third floor or the second floor, yeah. Ms. Jones and then Mr. Whoever, yeah. you know, develop consistency so that these people aren't just doing jobs. Mm-hmm. They're developing meaningful relationships. Yeah. I mean, for these residents, this is their life, right? Oh, you bet. Yeah. This, isn't, this is where they're going to stay for the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's their home, right? It's their home. Most of them, I don't think, know it's the end game. Mm-hmm. I mean, most of the people are there because, you know, and, and you said something that's really important. A lot of these facilities uh, have a, uh, a mandate of bedding, and you got to bring your own and do this other thing. I know some of them, like the one that my mom was in at the end of her life, was we kind of reconstructed her bedroom 
in her room in the facility. Oh, that's awesome. The painting on the wall, the yeah. bed, the curtains, everything. So she really wasn't, you know, too, she never said, when am I going home anymore? Mm -hmm. Because she figured she was home. Isn't that the key? And that not that why you talk about it's important to have consistency, that Martha should be the one that's with your mom every day? That's, uh, yeah. that, that's the key. You know, the yeah. institutional versus residential vibe is one of the most important things. Mm. It's really important, even at a larger facility that we might mm. call an institution, for them to still develop the feeling of a home yeah. and of a residence. And I love that trick that you guys did. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. You know, whatever you can do to give them a sense that this is truly their home, you mm -hmm. know, you might be inclined to think that that's less possible um, in a larger setting, a larger multi-floor facility, yeah. and that can be true. But I urge people to also consider the other consequences that might yeah. come along with going to a smaller facility, including sure. the qualifications of the employees, how attentive they are. So there's trade-offs. There's no yeah, perfect it, decision. Yeah, and you don't make a quick decision either on where to go, right? Mm -hmm. And this is something, once again, I want to tell people that if you haven't and you would like to acquire a, a piece of uh, some really groundbreaking work that Anthony did right after he became sort of the spearhead of this particular part of uh, the Gallagher Law Office. You put a lot of energy and, and a lot of thought into this. Uh, if people want to get a, first of all, what is it? If people need to get a copy of how, we, how they're going to do it. So they can go to elderabusehawaii.com. That's a it's new one, uh, elderabusehawaii.com. Yep, yeah. it's a website we started. Mainly, you know, as we started getting into these cases, we realized mm. that there's issues that are relevant mm. to the whole community that we don't expect them to know yeah. about the ins and outs of our case. Mm. It's our duty to share yeah. with them what yeah. we're learning. And so this guidebook is kind of a, a broad brush glance at some key topics, questions mm -hmm. to ask any senior mm -hmm. care home before you move in, signs, warning signs to look out for if something might be going awry. Uh, and so elderabusehawaii.com, free copy. Uh, yeah, just really type in your name, type in your email address, yeah, and boom, and, and it downloads. You know, one. there's another thing. Let's talk about the numbers for a minute because I do know that a lot of these facilities, like you said, they rack them and stack them. They got to keep them full. And, and one of the things that I'm most concerned about is what people sign or what people get into. And I do know that there's all kinds of people that maybe they, they, they have uh, buyer's remorse and they, they, they don't want mom to be there anymore. It, it isn't what it was supposed to be. And they want to move out. What do you do? While we touch upon that, mm. the most, one, one of the most important things to look out for when you're signing an admission agreement, mm -hmm. if you're moving a loved one into a facility, is something called forced arbitration. A lot of facilities now are starting to insert a clause where you are waiving your right to file suit against the facility oh if boy. something goes wrong. Oh boy. It is one of the biggest threats to the integrity of our yeah. civil justice system mm -hmm. at this moment. It's not just in senior care homes. It's in your rental car agreement. It's in you name it. Okay. And so yeah. when you sign there, look out for that because yeah. you do not have to be bound by that. Does, does your research show or is there anything that can be evidenced uh, by finding out how tough it is for some of these places to get insurance? Because I would imagine that most facilities that were living, dotting the I's and crossing the T's and had insurance, they, they, they wouldn't ask you to sign something like that because they think they're, they're going to do the right thing. Yeah. Well, if anything, it might be the insurance company who's wanting them to do that. Exactly. Um, I think so. That's what I'm worried yeah. about. The problem is- we know what those guys do, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Insurance is something that we're still learning about. Mm -hmm. uh, it is certainly been common for the larger facilities where you might expect mm -hmm. it, but for the arches, the adult residential care mm -hmm. homes, for the community care foster homes, there is not always a regulation or yeah. requirement that you have any insurance. Yeah. Recently, Hawaii passed a statute that says that pretty much all senior care homes now have to have insurance. Mm -hmm. Problem is, is that it then went to something called rulemaking, where the Department of Health has to determine what is an, a reasonable amount that we can force them to buy, you know, yeah, and still yeah. 
uh, expect them to, you know, be able to run a business. Yeah, that's on the catacombs in the shelf somewhere, right? We that's don't know long, the answer to that's that. That's long right? been on the yeah. shelf. Yeah. There's another thing that I think is equally important. Uh, as we take a look at this, they're sometimes in the urgency factor when they're trying to get you to sign up. I know a lot of families, and because our family looked into this, what guarantees do I have as a, as a a customer of the of the facility that that my mom or my dad's going to be able to stay there? In other words. It's horrifically emotionally tough, isn't it, when you move them around? Oh, it's it's it, uh, unavoidable, or you know, you want to avoid it at all costs. Uh, but but I mean, aren't some people worried that oh wow, I better sign a long term lease because I don't want to be told that mom can't stay here? Then what are we going to do? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And I've seen plenty of cases when we come in and they send us all their documents, all their mm. correspondence, yeah. and it's always. Oh, we have a one-month sale going on, and yeah. uh, you know, half off for your first three months if you sign up now. Mm-hmm. It's always there's a lot of good luck going around when people yeah. are looking to sign up for a facility. Are, are, are there any standards that are going to be set with regards to length of agreements? And the reason I ask you that is, we we talked earlier about hospice. You know, when some of these places will go on and have a hospice facility. Hospice is when the family, if not the patient, realizes, okay, we've done just about everything we're going to do. So what this person needs to be is comfortable surrounded by loving people. So hospice is, you know, the, the back door is open because mm-hmm. you're going to go in and you're going to go out. It's only a matter of time. Yep. But what about the 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 ability to take the next step? How many of these homes are willing to step up their treatment for somebody to cover that end of it? Well, that's the problem. So let's take an assisted living facility as an example. You've touched upon a great point. So assisted living facilities are not regulated, not permitted to take certain types of residents who need a certain type of care. Okay. And so let's Oh, that's you- good to know. In other words, people that are at really needing a lot of care aren't they can't go into that facility. Exactly. Yeah. For instance, if you're non-ambulatory, yeah, meaning yeah, if yeah. you can't walk independently, mm-hmm. you're not supposed to be in an assisted living facility. Mm-hmm. So what happens, let's say if year four all of a sudden you become non-ambulatory or you meet the criteria that DQs you, disqualifies you Mm -hmm. from that facility. Well, the facility has a decision to make. They can either recognize their duty to actually discharge you, Mm -hmm. which might sound like you're uprooting the resident, but no, you have a duty to give them the care that they Mm -hmm. need. And if it's not your facility you have to move them and to help transition them to a higher care facility. Even, that is what not about, happening. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you, is that happening, number one? And number two, uh, I do know that there are case specifics, that everybody's a little bit different. I mean, I can be just fine in an assisted living facility and something catastrophic can happen to my health in one day. Mm-hmm. And now I can't be there anymore. Exactly. But what? how long can I be? In, in other words, you know, you know, I'm sorry, Mike, we can't keep mom anymore. Where are you going to put her? I don't know. You know? <laughs> I hear you. Yeah. You know, fortunately, there's good, you know, there's good systems and state organizations in place to help make sure that folks never end up homeless. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the absolute travesty of a, you know, a result. Um, but no, you know, part of the problem here, too, is that, you know, especially for a nursing facility. So there's really mm-hmm. no cap on when you have a duty to discharge a resident. Yeah. I mean, you can offer a nursing do? level of care until until they need to go to hospice. Mm-hmm. You're the place for them. Yeah. So what do we see? We see things like people who might not, you know, who still have control over their bowel movements. They're not incontinent. Well, they have rules where they take you out on outings. I heard a story that they require all their residents, even if you're not incontinent, Mm -hmm. they require all their residents to wear Depends. And there's no bathroom breaks allowed. And so if you have to go, go in your Depends. Boy, I would, listen, I'm, you know what? When my body tells me to go to the bathroom, it says right now. Exactly. It doesn't say in an hour. Regardless of your age. Yeah, exactly. And so that's the dignity thing. Yeah, exactly. That's the dignity. And what happens though for the residents who aren't incontinent, Mm -hmm. but who are aging, they develop that type of habit and that type of routine and it fosters 
It encourages yeah, them yeah. to become incontinent. Exactly. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Okay, what are the light, uh, some of the lights at the end of the tunnel in future programs. In the next couple of weeks, you're going to discover there is a growing cadre of real experts that realize the need to facilitate people. And once again, I, I think that maybe here in Hawaii, added into that, I'm sure you've heard this, Anthony, a lot, that local people are... But they they they're shamed to come forward. You know they they just don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. There's there's no stigma to this, is there? None at all, yeah. especially when it's all confidential and you just yeah. call our office. Yeah. Yeah. You know, eight zero eight five nine seven one four zero zero. Go to our website, yeah. Yeah. fill out a little confidential. It's not gonna. It's yeah. just gonna stay in our firm. There's, there's two there's two websites by the way. There's Galler, the GallagherLaw.com, but there's there's ElderAbuseHawaii.com is where you're gonna find out in that area. And what I'm guessing is that a lot of times. If somebody, if you all of a sudden find out there's a category and there's more people in certain conditions of need, the quicker somebody reaches out to try to get some help, the better it is going to be to sort of categorize or triage what help they need. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. And especially, hopefully, if it's not a case of wrongful death, yeah. and if there's still you know future care needed for this yeah. resident, you know we can't give medical advice, but mm. you know we, we know people. We've gotten yeah, to know yeah. some organizations. We'll do whatever we can to help and create the best result possible. Okay, before we run out of time, let's let's cut right, go back right back to the chase because you know I abandoned that thing about the bed rail. Uh, how did it, it, it got done it, now? And that means that you were able to successfully litigate mm-hmm. on behalf of your client and and get and 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 get justice for what happened to that exactly. Yeah. So so long story short, for folks who might not be familiar with litigation and the process, mm-hmm. we file a complaint. The lawsuit gets going. We're allowed to, it's called discovery. We find out more about them. They find out more about our complaint and we do a lot of digging. We investigate, we meet up with experts, we develop testimony. And then at the end of the road, eventually there's a trial date. Mm -hmm. Now, by the way, when I, sometimes I talk to Anthony and he's, he's in litigation today or he's in trial today. That's the end. That's the tip of the iceberg, right? The mountain, the pyramid that's gone up to bring it to that point is a massive one. And it requires a lot of time, a lot of expertise. Oh, my God. Yeah, you know, yeah. 99 point something percent of cases don't <laughs> even reach that point of start yeah, exactly. trial. Yeah. So for us, to, that's mm. not, not many cases even start trial in a given year. Yeah. So we started trial. Um, you know, negotiations are ongoing. And at yeah. some point, the defendant hit our number. Yeah. And so unfortunately, we, we had a great case going on. Mm. Um, but, uh, if there's, you know, a deal to be made and a good recovery for the client, yeah. um, that's the best option. Yeah. So it didn't go to verdict. There was a settlement during yeah. the course of trial. And, and in, in many respects, I would imagine once a few settlements have been gotten, the word sort of gets out. Some, some investigative reporter or somebody like me is going to get on it. And that company is going to either have to do the right thing or stop doing whatever it was doing. Stop making that thing. Yeah. You'd hope so. Yeah. Um, that, that's, uh. I, I truly hope that uh, the defendant, in this case, the bedroll manufacturer, mm-hmm. they are a leading manufacturer in their field. Uh, I truly hope they walked away with it with certain messages. Um, I know they had to pay for it with their insurance, uh, but hopefully the message yeah. went a little bit deeper than that. All right. Now, and by the way, we're going to talk in, in the next couple of weeks more about this subject, but we're also going to circle back and talk about head trauma and helmets. And that's, once again, pieces of equipment that are maybe not doing the right thing. So for uh, for Anthony Carr and everybody at the Gallagher Law Firm, uh, thanks for listening uh, to this program today. Tell everybody we're here Saturday and Sunday, and you want to know more about the elder abu- the elder in your family and, and things that are being done on their behalf. Half, there's no copono is go to elderabusehawaii.com right elderabusehawaii.com you got it thanks phone Mike. number 808-597-1400 all right that's going to do it for this time see you next time have a great weekend remember uh the gallagher law foundation and the gallagher law office are there for your convenience so you can call one of these days 
Well, that's our program for today, and we certainly hope you'll come back next week for our next episode. In the meanwhile, to learn more about Team Gallagher, log on to GallagherLaw.com. That's G-A-L-I-H-E-R Law.com. <laughs>